Hello and welcome to Origami Unicorn, sci-fi reviews from across the void. I'm Gaz. And I'm Pete. And we're here to take you through, Pete, the rest of Star Wars Andor. Yes, the rest. This is our Christmas wrap. We uh, we spent we spent time going intricately and intimately into episodes one to three. We're now going to attempt to go through eight episodes in one single episode of Origami Unicorn because that's just how crazy we are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, we we sort of figured, didn't we, Pete? See, all right, let's give the the viewers. <laughs> the viewers, the listeners, some background. Uh, we're both going to jolly old England for Christmas, aren't we? We are. This is true. So, so we thought, do we really want to wait until 2023 to finish off Andor when we have a baying public? Just this Simpsons mob type group of people at our doorstep just wanting more origami unicorn so we said you know what let's just give let's just give the people what they want hey you laugh but i've seen 37 <laughs> listens pete 37 listens is that is that like me is that all me how many times have you listened to it Somewhere in the thirty, 30 no, no, I don't know. <laughs> mid I don't know. mid thirty range, mid thirties. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, it's probably I know it's not like, me, Because you know, <laughs> she can't Why work the podcaster, <laughs> the, bo- the podcatchers. Uh, definitely not me, mom. Somebody's listening, Pete. That's my point. And we have not tried to promote this yet. So my plan is after we've finished this episode. I'm actually going to uh, put it on the socials. I I did. There was there was something going off on Twitter. Uh, I think it is it good podcast is like a platform. Uh, I think for for different podcasts, and they were putting okay. the call out for Star Wars podcasts. And there was a lot of Andor stuff. Apparently, there's a lot of Andor podcasts out there. Oh well, um, they're probably all better than this one. <laughs> And so, well, I, this Star Wars specific. Um, yeah, that's why the better. <laughs> um, so I did mention, I did mention in the comments that we had a little podcast because I thought if we missed that one, oh. we might have missed the the boat the a little boat. bit because yeah. because they were or the ship, even. The see what ship. I did there. Good call. Good call. Yeah. I do see what you did there. That's why our <laughs> podcast will prevail long term. Because of sharp wit, shit puns. <laughs> so anyway, I put it out. So maybe, maybe somebody that was reading that took pity on us. Maybe thirty-seven, yeah, um, not thirty-seven people, but maybe in the twenties, mid twenties. In the twenties, we think. Oh well, maybe. there you go. That little bit of promotion got us thirty-seven players. So. I'm going to go out and suggest this is going to be a wildly successful and within a matter of, phew, I'm going to say weeks, we're going to have major dis- major life decisions to make as to whether we want to keep our careers <laughs> as as <laughs> teachers and writers 
uh, or if we want to, in fact, be full-time podcasters, Pete. So Beating over the holidays. groupies with a stick. <laughs> no, you can't be beating yourself off now on, on air. <laughs> Give it up. <laughs> Just to paint a picture for the audience, uh, is 7.15 a.m. here in New Brunswick, Canada. I have throat coat tea and the dregs of COVID. <laughs> Pete, mm. meanwhile, just finished the last day of school in Adelaide, Australia, and is sipping, I want to say, scotch. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's scotch that I bought for my dad for the visit home, which I have cracked open and now nearly finished. Sorry, Dad. That's not how you do gifting, Pete. No. You're gifting, gift to you're doing myself it wrong. For the end of term. And it is, it is quarter to ten at night. On a so, balmy summer's night. And it's freezing here. The magic, the magic of podcasting. And another reason, another differentiator from a, you know, wannabe podcast competition. Just throwing it out there. Tell your friends. Uh, we're going to get into it, Pete, because we have... We got a lot. We got a lot to cover. Oh, yeah. No, we have eight episodes. So without further ado, here is the remainder of Andor, brought to you by Origami Unicorn. <laughs> Pete, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to briefly summarize each episode, and then we're going to just yak about it a little bit. I'm going to watch the timer, uh, and then we'll just we'll just kick back and. We'll share our thoughts in general. As I feel like we, we bit off more than we could chew. Oh, I yeah, like we, we... we definitely did yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I had to watch eight episodes in a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, probably best to just do small chunks of things, hey? Yeah, but, but, lesson but learned. I, but but I, I loved what we did. I loved talking about it. No, it was really good. I actually thought getting into some of the detail was kind of fun, you know. Yeah. So uh, we'll think about it. We, we got the holidays to think about it. I think in the new year, I think I think movies will work really well for us. Mm. There's a couple of things I got my eye on. Uh, weekly is probably going to be a challenge. I think it's fair to say. I think we could possibly do bi-weekly. So maybe if there is a new show, we could watch two episodes and then do an episode of Origami Unicorn that summarizes two episodes of a show. So I think there are ways to do it. Um, for now, let's talk about episode four of Andor. So this one, uh, Pete, to refresh your memory, was called Aldani. Uh, not a person, but a place. Uh, Aldani is is a planet that looks a lot like Whitworth, I put in my notes, Pete. Lots of... <laughs> that, that's my home village for... Those not in the know, um, which Pete has visited. Uh, lots of rolling green hills. Very, very rural uh, is Aldani, or the part of it that we get to see here. Uh, I, I kind of wrote down this is sort of an administrative episode, Pete, if you remember it. I think it was probably the weakest episode so far, but had to get a few things lined up. Essentially, this is where uh, Luthen invites Cass to, to fight the Empire, He's not convinced, but he's going to give him 200k for five days' work, so then he's all in. 
what they're going to do is try to steal the quarterly payroll for an entire imperial sector. That's the the big plan. In this episode, Pete, we kind of go back and forth uh, between Aldani, where where Cass meets up with sort of Luther's ragtag band of thieves who don't really want him around, uh, and Lieutenant Gorn in particular. And that kind of clinical white world of of empire bureaucracy, the Imperial Bureau on Coruscant, uh, which is the we we find the capital of the galaxy, uh, Deidre Miro, uh, is the kind of keener uh, at the bureau that uh, becomes actually sort of the antagonist in chief here on uh, taking that that baton from from Cyril. Although Cyril's not gone away, uh, we also see him. Reunited with his mother uh, in this episode, we see some Mon Mothma, uh, Senator Mon Mothma, and Luthan action, and we see a bit of Ocean's Eleven style planning with the farmers and Cass. They have a nice little model of the garrison they're going to hit, and they talk through what they're going to do there. And the plan is to hit this garrison during the Eye of Aldani, which is this kind of meteor shower, which is going to provide a lot of chaos to provide some cover. For their grand plan, so that's that's the episode summary, Pete. Uh, what do you remember? <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. What did you remember about this episode? Um, it was quite interesting listening to you recap the episode, actually, <laughs> because you said it was an administrative episode, but there was quite a lot going on in that in that description. There was, there was a lot. No, there was. Yeah, there was a lot. There was you, a lot. First of all, it got. That's what I kind of meant, though. Like it, it, it had. They had to get a lot of ducks in a row. And they really got their space ducks in a row here, but it wasn't it wasn't the flashiest action packed kind of episode. You know what I mean? It was more, it was a bit more administrative. You know? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Um. I guess like for for a show that doesn't have a whole like a whole lot of upfront links to kind of the Star Wars that people know. I guess the big the big thing for this episode would be then Mon Mothma's appearance, played by Genevieve Riley, who was uh the second actress to play Mon Mothma um and played Mon Mothma in the the leader of the rebellion in the um the prequel movies uh after her initial appearance in I think is it Return of the Jedi, I think that she appears uh, played by a different actress. I'm sorry, I don't know the name of the actress that plays her. Played her originally. That's um, all right. We're not, we're not a Star Wars podcast, Pete, so we're allowed to not know these. No, things. we're not. I, I like it's kind of our thing. Like that we're not. I like not being able to not know things. That's good. Oh, it's I, it's I critical. I don't know a lot of things. <laughs> I I know a lot. I I don't know a lot more things than I know. <laughs> yeah, too. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um. But but I like I like the political element the the Coruscant kind of stuff, um, but the stuff that's on on Coruscant, um, uh, there's a lot going on. Yeah, you mentioned um, Cyril's Cyril's mom, and uh, yeah, a, a callback to a previous episode of ours uh, with all the mid-century modern kind of stylings and stuff and we get to see oh, kind of how we get to see how the plebs live on Coruscant sort of the the middle uh, you know sort of middle class I guess they're not they're not working class but they're not middle they're, they're not upper class 
like um, Mon Mothma, we get to see how the kind of everyman lives. Yeah, in these apartment she's a, blocks, she, and you got kind of Jewish cool Jewish mom. <laughs> so I I, I kind of like that, yeah. and also the men the men on a mission stuff of Aldani, I like as well. It's really like I wanted to talk about like the structure of the show, but maybe we can talk about that a bit later once we get to the the later episodes. But yeah, there's, maybe there's kind of three we'll... distinct three distinct parts to the show, right? Like there's the first part where we're we're on. Um, the the planet with Marva uh, and uh, Ferrix, Ferrix, um, with the flashbacks to kind of Andor's youth, and then we're in the middle section now, which is sort of the beginnings of rebellion, I guess. The, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of cast finding the cause a little bit. Um, more mm-hmm. great Brit- more great British actors and like some up and coming actors here. Um, uh, you might know the name of the 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 young guy who is in the the crew of Rebels on Aldani. He's in a Netflix show called The End of the Fucking World. Uh, he's the guy. He's the guy who has he's writing the manifesto for the rebellion. Oh, the like the kid, like the the sort of kid character. The sort of, yeah. Like, I kind of I saw a lot of um, Matrix vibes in this too. It reminded me of I can't remember the the name of God the things we can't remember. I'll tell you, man. <laughs> we said we said we said there was a lot. <laughs> really, I'll tell you when you get to your forties, you'll know too. Um, <laughs> things start to slip, but uh, yeah, it, it reminded me of that kind of young character. But he's a lot smarter than that guy was. But it's like there's always he was more like he's more like a whiz kid, isn't he? Actually, uh, he's almost like the brains behind the operation in a way, and, and actually was a really good character. I thought in the end. So he's played by a, by an actor called Alex Lawther, um, who's quite an up and coming young British actor. I guess I think we'll probably see him in a lot more things going forward. Um, yeah, he's kind of like the. Uh, very politically motivated, um, inspired by kind of injustice, kind of character. The the sort of pure of heart, purest of heart, perhaps of the group. Inspired by those kind of big ideas, um, you know that it, it's like great Star Wars draws from different areas of pop culture, right? Like you've got in the original Star Wars, you've got um, Hidden Fortress references so akira kurosawa stuff you've got kind of western like western image heaps of western imagery with han solo with a gun on his hip and his waistcoat and all that kind of stuff um samurai movies westerns um world war ii dog fighting you've got all of that stuff going on i like that this is drawing from kind of those broader tropes of kind of rebellion style movies i don't know if i'm expressing that terribly well but do you know what i mean like that's, the, re- that's super the, interesting the young yeah. politically minded character that may or may not become disillusioned later on you know uh, yeah we can yeah. we can do spoilers now because we're going to cover all the episodes so he yeah, doesn't become the whole thing doesn't he doesn't become disillusioned on yeah so i like I, I like that stuff it's it's it was an interesting shift in gear i think for for the show yeah, definitely getting into the politics, but I do want to talk about Cyril's mom's greeting when he when he arrives at the door. Do you remember that? 
<laughs> she, and it reminded me him? of uh, yeah. She gives him. She does the the slap hug. The the initial response is a slap, and then he gets a hug. And it was so true to life for me because I want to share an experience. <laughs> I was just about to ask. I was just about to ask. I was just about to say that sounds like you've experienced that from my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> the day that I got lost in the Rochdale shopping center, Pete, as a, as a wee child, uh, shopping with my mum and grandmother, and was given the task of by my mother simply to walk to a store where my grandmother was and managed to get myself lost in the 10 meters that that involved in the metropolis of, of Rochdale. So ended up, you know, picked up by some... <laughs> Some lady, some kindly lady who took me to, you know, the office, and they 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 put it out over the uh, the the PR system or whatever. So eventually, you know, and I'm I'm actually after getting over the initial shock of it, baby Gareth was actually you know just sort of quite content in this office with these kind people playing with his new toy that I'd picked up. Uh, but and and just fully anticipating my mum to be delighted. When she found me, uh, but no, I got a slapped ass and then a hug, Pete. But it was quite, it was quite a visceral thing for me because the you shock made of it visceral for me, <laughs> the sh- the shock of getting the slapped ass, <laughs> but then also getting a hug. I mean, it really spoke to me this moment for for Cyril. You just made me think that there's a Netflix show called Old Enough. Have you seen that show? No, I haven't seen that one. There's a, it's it's a Japanese show. And they have, like, literally the youngest kids. I mean, like, kids in Japan, right? Like, I lived in Japan for a couple of years. Kids in Japan are super independent. And they will, like, you, you see them going to school on the trains, on the subway system, on their own. Like, these really li- quite quite young kids doing stuff that that I wouldn't send my... I wouldn't trust my kids to do. I wouldn't send my kids out on the subway at, at the age that these kids go out. Um. And so they've got a whole show about it on Netflix where they send kids out on these on these little missions to do things. And listening to you describe your adventure <laughs> in Rochdale sounds like the beginning of this show, except that these kids are like really little. They're like two and three. And yeah, and they also wouldn't have got lost. Little. And they go and accomplish these tasks. You know, they, they go yeah. in and there's a commentator like on the soccer and Oh, it's wow. kind of like, oh, can they do it? Oh no, they've gone the wrong way, and all this, and it kind of makes fun of it. But the kids actually are that sounds <laughs> so listening, so listening Japanese. To you, listening to you fail, <laughs> slightly <laughs> older Gareth completely failing at a much simpler task is what happened, and, and then getting the old hug slap, yeah. and getting the hug slap. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. My childhood. So no, no, it's it's all good. Uh, I just want to touch on another couple of points in this administrative episode of of Andor, which I still hold that it is. She's great, though. I don't know what the character's name is. What is Cyril's mom's name? Does she have a name? I I didn't get it. But but one of many things we don't know. It's like George Costanza's mom in Seinfeld, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just definitely is never going to measure up, is he? Like he's she he's failed again. He will continue to fail, and it kind of begins this dialogue, which is important about there's some kind of uncle figure, right? I uh, didn't maybe it's not mentioned in this episode. I think we only get 
I'm getting ahead of myself now. But yeah, that she's going to try to set him up with a job essentially. But he's secretly still obsessing about Andor, but that is getting ahead of ourselves. So yeah, that basically summarizes. We, we've covered all the key points. I did want to mention for this episode, uh, Luthen basically when he gets back to Coruscant, he's, he's he kind of runs this antique store. He, he dons a wig and a load of bling, and that's kind of his cover. And uh, that's how Mon Mothma kind of goes there on the pretense of wanting to purchase a uh, uh, some kind of collectible for her husband, who's also a really interesting character that we'll get into. We do see him briefly, uh, Perrin. Uh, I call him Reginald Perrin the whole time. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love Reggie Perrin. Oh, I actually love so that. Good. That's, I think that's one of my favorites from the 70s. I, used to, I love that. I still love it. Used to come on when we were kids. Let's get on a tangent because we haven't had a good tangent yet. The rise and fall of Reginald Perrin uh, was a was that Beeb? Was that a Beeb show? Yeah, yeah, it was BBC BBC show from the seventies, which they used to play a lot in the eighties when Pete and I was were growing up in England. Uh, just about yeah, basically what it says: the rise and fall of. Uh, Quite a, an everyday type character called Reggie Perrin, played uh, by the so great course. Leonard Rossiter. Oh, yeah, magical, so funny, very classic British humor. I'll never forget. And another thing that kind of reminded me of that in this episode was every time then that I saw Cyril's mom, I was I I just kind of pictured like a a huge hippopotamus. Was it a hippo or a right? I think it was a hippopotamus <laughs> yes, lumbering a hippo. along. <laughs> because every time Reggie Perrin mentioned his mother-in-law, I think it was, yeah. it would just be this cutscene of this great lumbering hippopotamus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Mother Rang. She wants to know if we're going over to see her on Sunday. Yeah, uh, fantastic bit of uh, British uh, TV history, if you can dig it out. The rise and fall of Reginald Perrin. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to carry on with Andor. And uh, we're doing really well. We only spent like half an hour on one episode. So by my calculations, this episode of Origami Unicorn should be about five hours long. No, we're, we're going to really put our... Sorry. <laughs> we'll put a... No, no, it's all right. It's all good conversation. We'll put our foot down now, and uh, we'll move on to episode five. This one, uh, one of my favorite episode titles uh, of the whole series, this one's called The Axe Forgets. <laughs> and that comes from a, a, a phrase that, that we hear in the show, which is that the axe forgets, but the tree remembers. Uh, we find out in this episode, Pete, that Cast did time as a team. And he tells the other farmers that he's here to win and walk away. All right, he's not he's not in it for the long haul. This rebellion, and I think it's Vel who who is the uh, sort of farmer leader. Uh, but she says, uh, Vel says, wouldn't that be lovely? It turns out, Pete, the farmers would have been a bit screwed without Cast. They didn't really seem to have a very good plan for this garrison robbery. Uh, we get the first mention of a rebellion here. We see we see a toast to the rebellion among the farmers prior to going doing this big uh, this big heist. We get a bit of backstory on Lieutenant Gorn. So Gorn is the guy that's basically an Empire guy that's turned coat 
and has joined the the, the farm as he sort of their way in. And his backstory is essentially that he fell for a local woman and she was killed and he was denied a promotion. And what, what I got from this, uh, Pete, is that everybody that's involved in this rebellion is kind of fighting their own rebellion, right? They're all scarred directly in some way and we're finding those different ways that each of these characters is scarred and what's what's motivating them to be a part of this rebellion. So that was really interesting. We've got Cyril's mom now trying to get him a job. We also have a little bit of needle between the farmers and Cass here. Uh, there's one guy that steals his necklace that Luthen gave him. Uh, and apparently it's Sky Kyber, I think he calls it. It's like this precious jewel and it's kind of the insurance policy that Luthen gave to Cass in case everything goes to shit. So he had something to kind of go sell. And, and just the final point on this episode was that... Uh, Luthen's having a bit of buyer's remorse over what he calls the thief Andor. This episode is sort of the build up to the the big heist, Pete. Essentially, it's going a little bit deeper on some of these characters. So I love the kind of men on a mission aspect. Like I I, I really like I really respond to that. And you've got kind of the classic resenting the new guy thing going on. There's a character that is in the the crew played by an actor called I hope I get this right Ebon Moss Backrack who is for once not an up-and-coming British actor, but is an actor that, that has appeared. Um, I don't like to say he's up-and-coming because I don't actually know whether he's up-and-coming or not, but he did appear in a show that I watched recently this year, one of my favorite shows that I watched this year, which is a show on Disney called... Uh, it's on Disney for us. I don't know whether it's on Hulu in the US called The Bear, which is a show about kind of uh, a Chicago chef who works for a top um, Michelin-starred restaurant and then his brother dies and he ends up going back to Chicago and sort of taking over his, uh, I I guess you call it like a a deli kind of place. And and it's, 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 it was, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And, um, Ebon Moss Bacharach. I, I kind of like just saying his name, so I might just say that again. I'm probably saying it really wrong. Ebon Moss <laughs> Bacharach. Change it every not, time. Not Bacharach. It's Bacharach. E- Elon Musk Bacharach. Elon Musk Bacharach. <laughs> That's what his name is now. I, I'm sure I am absolutely murdering it, and I apologize because he's he's a really phenomenal actor. Um, he's He's amazing in The Bear as kind of like the boisterous, uh, Larry, big, uh, older brother type character who, who kind of resents the young upstart coming back and taking over the business. And and he's really good in Andor as well as this sort of, at first he appears to be like a really suspicious, true believer, like a part, a part of the, the team who resents this outsider coming in but i think maybe perhaps later on we we discover that there may be game recognizes game in a way but yeah he's really good i, I like the dynamics on aldani um i think they're i think they're really good i i do get a bit muddled about sort of motivations uh, uh like my i feel as though in all the 
previous episodes, every time you you ask me a question or you cut back to me, I, I kind of start with, oh, I love this, or oh, I love that. And um, <laughs> you start to notice these little little quirks about yourself, don't you, when you listen back? <laughs> well, I love everything, apparently. Um, but but one thing You're just that a lover. Left... You're just a lover, not a hater, Pete. I'm a lover, not a hater. I, like, I don't like to put things down as well. Like, I, I, I don't see the the value in that like you know you find what what's to love don't you but um i find like the motivation i've i'm a little maybe it's probably a flaw on my part but i'm a little bit confused about motivation in the show as as a whole because like you said you said maybe you said something in this episode that maybe i missed but you said that Luthen's starting to to have buyer's remorse about Andor, and I didn't feel that in this episode. But later on, that becomes a really important plot point, and and maybe that's where my problem comes from with with, with motivations and things that that they, they, they take on Andor. He feels like Andor is the only person really that can get the the crew going on Aldani, and then there's a bit of a turn later on. And, and and I I don't I don't get that uh, like it drives the rest of the plot so so it becomes a, a bit of an issue I mean like you know I love the show and I I, I really do there I, there I go again uh, I really do think that it's like the maybe the the best Star Wars I've seen in 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 maybe ever which is quite a big claim but um wow yeah I do have a, that is I do those have, are big words. I do have a bit of an issue with the sort of turnaround on with Luthen and Andor, which we'll probably get to later. But motivations are a bit confused, I think, on on Aldani. They hire Andor because he's great at what he does, so he's great at getting stuff, as far as I know. And and they put him in this crew, and this crew is kind of like hardcore rebellion, true believers, seemingly. Uh, Led by Mon Mothma's sister. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not revealed yet. Uh, not, but, not revealed but, yet, yes, but led by Mon yeah. Mothma's sister. Vel or Vel? Vel. 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 And, the, and this former Empire guy, and I find I'm really interested in the former Empire guy. Like the. um, His character was really interesting because the Empire kind of all portrayed as these kind of awful fascist um skin crawly kind of Cyril and the, and the, even the girl on Coruscant who is um she's given a lot of time and given a lot of interesting character stuff but is still at, at heart a pretty awful black hearted soul um and then you've got this interesting empire guy who it is a really good guy. Like he he knows his stuff. He's he doesn't seem like an absolute shit, and and that's interesting for me. I think particularly when the rest of the guy, the rest of the Empire guys on Aldani, when we when we eventually get to see them, are are, are classic Empire types. Um, he I, I found him to be quite an interesting character. I don't know what you thought. Are you talking about Gorn? Yeah, yeah. Who, who I think they reveal is a former stormtrooper. 
Okay. I think that's said at one point. So bit of a film vibe. Right, exactly. Yeah, very much so actually. Yeah. And and I was like, maybe it's the guys that are, you know, more into the politics, more upstairs that are the real nefarious baddies. And the guys, you know, the soldiers essentially are just the 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 tools of war, you know what I mean? So maybe they're not always necessarily buying into it, but you know, there are It's an interesting of shade of grey mm. for 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 a series that was essentially, you know, bad guys turn up on their faceless villains and yeah, dressed in white, and, and, and that almost as though we know what we're talking about is something that we spoke about, I think way back in the first episode, which was that, um, you know, light side, dark side is sort of the way Star Wars has always operated. And, and, or I think asks more questions than anything we've seen before about where the lines are drawn between the two and operates more in that gray area, uh, which I think is a continuing theme. So I think we deserve a pat on the back for, for, for noticing that. Well done, us. <laughs> well done, us. We're, we're going to move on to episode six, uh, Pete, uh, because this is where it starts to get, the tension really gets ramped up again because we're going to see the heist now. So this one, uh, the eye. <laughs> this is really interesting. It's kind of another one of those episodes where we kind of see that steady rise, kind of like we did back on Ferrix before the, or when the Empire guys were, were coming in and they were kind of readying for that confrontation. And that's something they showed us so well, I feel like building that, that tension. Um, here it's, it's basically the pilgrims march. Uh, all the believers and Aldani are coming for the, for the eye for this big meteor shower. Here we've got Cass and the crew. Now we're pretending to be empire soldiers. That's, you know, under Gorn's tuition. That's how they're going to uh, get into the garrison with his help and then you know it's it's all about the high so a couple of things that i noted here uh the farmer girls vel and a friend uh do a lovely pierce brosnan over the side of the dam thought that was a lovely uh lovely bond callback you remember that scene <laughs> a little bungee over the dam <laughs> and 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 all kinds of influences i i noted here serious diehard vibes when the uh, Imperial Commandant guy says he doesn't have the codes to the vault. Uh, and, and we all know that didn't work out well for, for Mr. Takagi. So uh, left me wondering, <laughs> would they need a little Christmas miracle, Pete, to uh, to get into the, the vault? It's Christmas, Theo. It's the time of miracles. Um, they didn't. They do get into the vault. I was not expecting it to be gold bullion. Uh, I got to tell you. Microchips, aren't they? Is that what it is? But oh, okay. they're like they kind of like they look like kind of casino chips, I think. But but I think that that's the that's currency, right? Like I think we might have seen those in the Mandalorian. If you watch the Mandalorian, I think we might uh, have seen watch it. credits. Like there's a lot of talk about credits in Star Wars, but you never actually see them until now, and, and that's uh, that was a revelation for me. Oh, that's what they're stealing. It's not like electronic credits. It's casino chips. Ah, Who knew? They're dealing casino chips. So mm. we we uh, really get some impressive uh, visuals in this episode too, Pete. Uh, this this um, the eye, uh, this meteor shower uh, is very impressive. Kind of like fireworks meets the northern lights. 
If fireworks and the northern lights had a baby, it would be the eye. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very pretty. That's a beautiful description. I know. That's what I do. So, uh, <laughs> and then unfortunately, of course, it can't go smoothly. So they do get rumbled, and there was a big firefight and fisticuffs uh, before uh, Cass uh, flies them out of there. They have this kind of insane escape scene. Uh, with Karis, very the, tense, very tense, ve- very tense. Karis, the brainy kid, is sort of telling uh, Cass to to climb, climb. Cass is at the uh, the controls, of course. He's the pilot uh, in this sti- ship. Excuse me, this ship that they've stolen. Um, and we have an injury, don't we, uh, to Karis in this as well? And they have to take him to a very Blade Runner style doctor with. <laughs> with the goggles and he, he was kind of a an interesting crazy character i love the i love the planning of the heist and they did that really well it was really good um you, you also had like that insight into its street level uh, of the rebellion you you see why this stuff is happening and the people of aldani were really mistreated and it got moved on and they've still got this tradition that they're trying to cling on to there was a lot of kind of indigenous people kind of stuff going on i think and aldani um which was really good and then you had this build up it which was really good to um this dramatic heist which which did end in tragedy yeah yeah no we shouldn't gloss over that yeah that's a really good point and i think there was a lot of commentary in that i think it was said at one point that the the native aldani people their numbers were diminishing year over year. I, I think it maybe it was every two years, if I remember correctly, that the eye happens. So it was always kind of this, this, this march, this pilgrimage to, to this event that holds this this very kind of spiritual meaning for these people. And there is there is at one point kind of like a, a, a confrontation, kind of a face off between their leader and the empire people as well. Uh, and they are very you really feel that kind of the resentment towards them which i thought was really clever i thought it was really well done yeah you really you really got that sense as well of 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 stubbornness on their part you know they were going to come and they were going to worship until you know literally there was one of them standing and i think i think there was something really beautiful in that yeah for sure once they're getting the Karis fixed up, the four-handed goggled doctor who I greatly enjoyed. And it's a shame <laughs> we don't have more time to, to, to pick that apart, but he was great. <laughs> when <laughs> So we get a scene. So in the back alley of, of the back alley doctor's place, the, 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 the back alley doctor has a back alley and uh, we see Cass. And who's this guy? Have we named this guy yet? The, the, the fellow that wants him to uh, basically screw the rest of them and, the two of them escape together with all the money. Um, Do you remember this scene? And it's Ebon. really... It's a, Are we talking about Ebon Moss Bacharach again? It, was it Bacharach? Is that who it was? <laughs> yeah. Because he just... Yeah. Not for the first time in this series, he just does this guy point-blank range, like, just kills him, right? <laughs> I mean, Cass, Cass... When Cass makes a decision that you have to die, like, he's not fucking around. Uh... Yeah, just point blank shoots him in the chest. Um, but of course, when he comes back in and tries to explain this story, 
Vel's not really having it. Um, she thinks that, you know, he's off their friend and basically he's, he's trying to get away with everything. So it's maybe uh, this is where I'm getting confused because um, Skeen is the, is the character that he plays, Ebon Moss, back crack Skeen. Uh, and so, so his, Pete, his... Pete, I have to, sorry, I have to stop you right there because you're saying it wrong. It's very important because this is probably going to be the name of this episode, and his name is e- Elon Musk Baccarat. <laughs> I tried like Echum <laughs> Musk Elon. He's the most famous man in the world, Elon Musk Backchat, <laughs> and then that that weird casino game that nobody plays, Baccarat. <laughs> okay, I'm. I'm re. I must apologize because I can only blame that that whiskey. Um, <laughs> so, so it turns out that he's not a true believer. He's just in it for himself. Um, and, and like I said, game recognizes game, and he thinks that Andor is that way. But Andor has actually been turned over the course of these Aldani episodes, thanks in part to the. To the the true believer, the guy that's writing the manifesto for the rebellion, um, and, and so yeah, he off he offs him, and, and maybe this is where I'm getting a bit confused that that the rest of the guys don't really get that, and that's why they kind of turn against Andor, even though Andor does them, he does the honourable thing, he he doesn't he doesn't go with Skeen. He doesn't try and take a cut. He he lets them have the money. He he could quite easily just screw them over here. He could take it all and bugger off, but he doesn't. And um, and maybe that's where I'm going wrong, and that that I'm not seeing that as 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 a big enough deal. Maybe it's just because we're we're very much on Andor's side. You know, like we know that he's a protagonist. We know that he's the um, a good guy, and he's played by Diego you know, Luna, know which makes him very like dreamy eyes. Exactly, dreamy eyes. that's what yeah. I was going with that, but I didn't want to yeah. go back to it again. It's um, hard not to love him. Exactly, um, and maybe that's almost a flaw in that. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I'm still not entirely. I'm trying to convince myself, but I'm still not entirely sold on their their turnaround on Andor. Because I mean, again, again, we're leaping ahead, but. They they kind of hunt him down, right? Like they the the rest of the show is about them tracking down Andor, even though he's done the right thing at this point. Um, and, and so I, I I've got to admit I've got to, I've got one or two issues with yeah. with that direction. Even though I I love the show, um, I, I'm I'm not I'm not entirely sold on. They haven't convinced us. That those guys would feel that way about Andor, I I don't know. Just to sum up this particular episode, we we basically get Keris handing Cass the the manifesto as he as he takes off. We get a quick peek at the and I got oof chills prequel vibes. Pete, as we see the great big hall, what's that called? The hall of where they have like the floating platforms, the Senate it, feature. The Senate is that the Senate? It's the Senate. Yeah, the Galactic Senate. I the Galactic Senate. I'll be crucified by Star Star Wars fans for not knowing that instantly, right? Um, 
really cool to see that and kind of reimagined in all its, you know, 2022 CGI glory. Um, a word gets to Luthen uh, that the rebels got it done, man. And he has a little, we end the episode with Luthen having a, a little bit of a laugh. He's, he's very, he's just tickle pink that uh, Andor and the ragtag band of farmers managed to pull off the, the heist. I could take or leave the, 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 that, that kind of big prequel gesture. I mean, I like, I, I, I appreciate the galactic Senate and all that, but I, I can take or leave that, but there are aspects that I really like about the Korish and stuff. Um, Luthen's shop for a start is, uh, they, they talk about like, there's been talk about the show, not having a lot of Easter eggs, but there are a lot of Easter eggs in Luthen's shop. Um, for people that really follow this kind of thing and, and are really into it, you know, like there's references to the clone wars. There's the, the, um, the, the show, the clone wars, um, there's references to the Mandalorian. There's even like a sneaky little Indiana Jones Easter egg in the background, like the Ankara stones from temple of doom are in there. Um, and the, the, the thing that I like most about the Coruscant stuff so far is, um, Mon Mothma's driver, who's played by a guy called Lee Ross, who you and I would know from um, a, a British TV show created by Stephen Moffat called Press Gang. Uh, he was nice guy Kenny in Press Gang, and he plays this. Yeah, I think in 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 his later career, he's kind of his kind of stock in trade is these kind of East End gangster gangstery types. Um, but he's playing a. Uh, a driver for Mon Mothma who we're very early tipped off is that he's a bad guy. He's kind of a bit of a spy for the empire and he's spying on Mon Mothma. Um, and I, I, I like, I like all those, those kind of that extra layer to it. If you like the, you can't be safe while he's around and you're not entirely sure. Cause it's secondhand, not it's secondhand information. Somebody said that he's a spy um, and I, I like that it's Kenny from Press Gang as well. I got to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Press Gang, of course, famous for uh, producing Dexter Fletcher, who mm. who's gone on to become quite a big director now, directing Bohemian Rhapsody and um, those kind of movies. Uh, at Julia Swaller, and who is Dexter Adina's... Fletcher, who is also who also was the game master at one point. Let's not forget that. <laughs> highlight of his he, career he, well yeah i'm sure it's top of his cv i'm, I'm sure took over from dominic diamond dominic diamond on, yes on games yeah. master um yeah second string to dominic diamond i'm sure it'll be top of his cv after directing bohemia rhapsody <laughs> i'm so pleased though that we managed to get dominic diamond mentioned <laughs> in a in a podcast about andor I mean, three <laughs> degrees of separation, right? I would like to personally thank the many talented people that have worked on this show. They will all go on to bigger things. Dominic Crazy. Diamond was fascinating. Let's go on a tangent. Dominic Diamond was a fascinating character. Like, if you watch the first couple of seasons of Game Master, he was like this clean-cut 90s, you know, like, oh yeah, like he was super clean-cut suit, just clean-shaven. And by the end of it, he just, yeah, the transformation is unreal. Like he just, I don't know what happened to Dominic, but he, <laughs> he was quite different. He was a little bit more rough around the edges, let's say, by the end of it. Must have been tough, man. 
being being the uh, being the wingman to the game master himself. Patrick Moore. Who knows what Patrick Moore? It was Patrick Moore, right? So I mean, we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on to episode I, I li- seven. I like Dominic Diamond. I like I like his sense of humor. I think he's. I don't, I like him. I don't. I'm not sure what he's doing now, but uh, but I like him. I don't know, but I'm gonna Google it. Episode seven is announcement. This is where um, we see basically Cyril land uh, a new job, uh, the the one that his mother set him up for, basically in cubicle land at the bureau. Uh, we see the bureau uh, and unleashing the Emergencies Act. Basically, Pete uh, sounds kind of familiar to me as a Canadian. Uh, basically. Allows them to go and do whatever they want uh, to to uh, to the populace, um, and and a very Vader uh, uh, line was was unleashed uh, that they they say that they'll find out how tight we close our fist is what they say. This is also the episode where we see Mon Mothma reveal that she's secretly saving up uh, for the rebellion. It's the episode where we see Cass go back to Ferrix and he's unable to uh, convince uh, Marva to leave with him she's not she's ailing at this point his mom not not doing very well uh bix isn't too pleased with him he's not super welcome anymore ferrix because there's a feeling there that uh he kind of brought the empire down upon them and we end up uh here on neomos uh so the planet for which the the banging dance track is named uh which we get a couple of nice remixes of in this and I, and just a quick special shout out for the the sound design in general on Andor, which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, I noted that several times. I just thought the music and the sound design in general was just really on point in this show. Neomos is is kind of space Brighton, Pete. It's ah uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, it's more it's nicer than that. <laughs> it's, it's space blackpool it's got a barcelona vibe it's got a barcelona vibe surely it's a bit tacky though isn't it? like it's a bit <laughs> there's a bit of tackiness to it you know cassie's there hold up with some lady that he's he's managed to pull it does look windy it looks windy right that's kind I'm, of what I'm i was getting the bright it looks vibes. kind of windy and shale so maybe yeah brighton not far and the beach is very very hard and rocky it's, it's mm-hmm. brighton i'm telling you it's space brighton um it's also kind of overrun by some really scary looking drones and droids uh and we end the the the, uh the episode with uh this this like seven foot tall droid basically throat pinning cast to to the wall um and then he gets uh basically six years on on some trumped up charges and this this is sort of what's going on all across the galaxy i guess is that uh the bureau is basically, you know, uh, tightening the fist and bringing people in and locking them up. Uh, and uh, we also we also get kind of we we end the episode on a shot of Cyril kind of in his own imprisonment. He's he's one of many people uh, in a, in a cubicle at the bureau, not looking terribly happy with his very mundane data entry job. And that that's kind of. What goes down in uh, in this episode, Pete? Yeah, so the the broad brush strokes of the empire are kind of like uh, the, one of the things that I like about this show is how it refines it. And so, yeah, like you say, the Emergencies Act has got real consequences, uh, and there are real consequences in this show. 
Um, and I really like that. There's an appearance from K2SO. Is it K2SO from, from Rogue One? I don't know. It's it's a it's an enforcer droid, like very much like the one we see Andor with later on, who probably crop oh, up in yeah. season two, voiced I knew I'd by seen that guy. Ed Wash from uh, Firefly. Is he in a Canadian show? Um, Alan Tudyk. Uh, he's in. Um, is it a Canadian show? I'm sure. Like you might know this. Something about an alien, illegal alien, or another sci-fi not, show at the moment. Uh, Alan Tudyk. Documentary like of my life. Is it? um you know alan alan tudyk's like a a genre mainstay i suppose uh great actor uh so i'm hoping that he crop up in season two i don't know if i don't know if we got a snippet of the voice of the enforcer droid might well have been him um and i guess at some point we'll see uh, i assume it's not the same droid but it's the same brand of droid um Mm. That, that pins him and then he gets false imp- falsely imprisoned by a kind of kangaroo court. There's a lot to love in that episode. I love the kind of James Bondian aspect of Andor. Once it, once he realizes yeah. that is, is the gigs up in, in Ferrix, he fucks off and is, is laying some chick in, <laughs> in, in very Bond. Was, like, um, yeah. I don't, I can't remember if he was wearing an uh, a, an unfastened Hawaiian shirt, but that's definitely how I remember it in my head. I like to think it was like a terry towel onesie, like a <laughs> a play suit. I think I believe they called um, a, a leisure suit, <laughs> which which only really Sean Connery could pull off. But um, and I, I reckon did, Diego Luna. Why did he pull it off? <laughs> I reckon Diego Luna could if he gave it a shot as well. I'd like to see that going forward in season two as well. So oh, we should well, there should be a suggestion to SO and <laughs> a Terry Town play suit. <laughs> and hairy Luna chest. <laughs> um Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that went weird. Sorry. It did. Let's move on. So uh Narkina Nar- five uh it's the fifth best of the Narakinas. And so uh, I said I said this this season had three distinct parts, but I'm forgetting the Narkina five part. So I'm guessing it's got four parts. How can you forget the Narkina five part, which was like probably my favorite really, part? Yeah, really powerful. Narkina five is a a huge uh uh pr- prison type prison factory Complex. installation. Complex. Mm way out to sea and one one of many hence the number five uh we do get kind of a a nice uh cg intro scene when cass is flown into it to demonstrate that there are actually a number of these that these great big installations uh out in the middle of the ocean we we see cyril still in his cubicle so they, they kind of again sort of still doing this sort of back and forth comparison of, of cyril's own sort of imprisonment is how i kind of took that what else happens in this episode, Pete? Let me do give you a little rundown. So we get uh, Cyril basically uh, is is pulled in by uh, by Miro, uh, and the reason she's onto him is because he's he's been putting in a bunch of uh, false inquiries into Cass. He's still completely obsessed with Cass, uh, so he keeps putting in inquiries. So she kind of pulls him and 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 has a word. Yeah, we as I said, we get Cass on the short shuttle bus to Narkina Five, uh, and it's an Imperial factory essentially, is what these these turn out to be. 
uh, we'll get to we'll get to that later because that has a lot of relevance. Essentially, what's going on in the background with the bureau, Pete, is that they have the the MacGuffin, they have the box uh, that Cass and Luthen left back on Ferrix, and they're starting to realize that this is not a one off. That uh, a lot of Empire tech has been going missing, and that there's a pattern to it. So that's that's sort of um, what's going on with Deidre Miro uh, and this kind of investigation into. Uh, what's been going on and how that kind of relates to this, this uh, upswell of rebel activity. Miro wants to dr- quote, drill down, find Andor and get a hunt started. So that's kind of going on in the background. Um, on Narkina, on the, uh, on the prison installation, basically how, th- how this works is kind of interesting. They set this up in this episode, Pete, the whole station has these metal floors and the, and the screws the prison guards, they have a button. And essentially, if you step out of line, but they have rubber boots, so it can't get them. But if you get out of line, they can press a button and electrocute everybody. So that's kind of demonstrated, and, and we, we kind of set that up. Cyril uses the opportunity to make a play with Miro to get his career back, but she's not having any of it at, the, at this point. Kino Loy, uh, Pete, is introduced in this episode. He's the sort of uh, leader, the pris- imprisoned leader on Cass's floor, played by Gollum himself, Andy Serkis. And essentially, it's they've kind of gamified slavery on, on this installation. So they have everything kind of divided into floors and floors into sections. And these these poor prisoners, every day they get up, they're sent to a table, and, and, and that's kind of each table even is, is in competition with each other to build these great big... Uh, like claw looking structures that we don't get an explanation yet as to what these are, but every table is competing with each other. Every floor is, every floor is competing with each other. So yeah, it's, it's kind of the future sort of hellish nightmare, dystopian future sweatshop. Of course, Cass being Cass kind of comes in and galaxy galaxy brains, the whole process. And you kind of get the sense immediately that he's going to be very efficient at building these, uh, building these things. What else is going on in this episode? We got Mom Mothma still schmoozing with her bit on the side and refusing to drink squigs, which is a, a drink with a fizzy worm in it. I thought that was kind of fun. And meanwhile, on Ferrix, uh, Marva's not doing well at all, Pete. And uh, Bix has to make a call from the chimney phone, uh, which goes to Luthen's shop. So we kind of make that that connection. The feds catch up with Bix. She runs. They catch her. So we end this episode with Bix in the clutches of Deidre Miro. And also, uh, before the episode ends, we see Luthen head to meet Forrest Whitaker, Saw Guerrera of Rogue One fame on a planet called Seagram Milo. Probably not saying that right. Um, And Luthen wants Saw to meet a guy named Anto Krieger. Uh, in exchange for some arms. Uh, and he basically gives him a spiel about uniting for the rebellion. So I'll take a deep breath because <gasps> a lot happens in this episode, Pete. We've got Cass locked up. We've got Cyril trying to trying to work his worm his way back in uh, with with the Empire. And we've got uh, Luthen uh, off uh, talking with Forrest Whitaker. About joining the the rebellion, those are the those are the key points. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
you know that that concept of the the prison on Nakina Five, that that concept of the prison is amazing, um, classic dystopian. Uh, like I I I I have liked to imagine that the writers had a lot of fun sitting down, coming up with those concepts. You know how can we how can we get them in a pickle? What would be the worst that, that you could have happen? And that that gamifying of the slavery, so good. It's the the Groundhog Day horror of it isn't it like you yeah know, they wake him up every morning and it's like and and then in this it's like you have to go and do this and you know every day he know loy so andy circus character is is kind of like well into his prison term and it's almost as though he's kind of bought into the whole competition aspect of it and um yeah, just this idea that you you've got to go every day, and it's like yeah, you, you work to beat the other floors, and I think there are some perks. Oh yes, I remember what the perk was: flavor in the tube that you <laughs> suck your food from in your cell. So basically, if you perform badly, flavorless mush nutrition. Uh, if you've if you've done well, then you might get some flavor. So just just these little touches of like how it's just this this horrible it, it, hellish dystopian place. It it smacks of like a Twilight Zone episode, even like a Black oh. Mirror, like a, yeah, you know, it it definitely has that vibe. And, and and that that turn as well, like again, like the show is about showing how awful the Empire is and how insidious that kind of fascism is, and and how people can gradually have that realization like you've got um the guy on Aldani the empire guy who fell in love with a local girl you've got Kino Loy here who's sort of buying the empire's line that if you work hard enough you'll pay off your debt and you'll get out of prison get out of that hell hole um, yeah and, and, and then eventually he has quite an interesting character arc as well yeah yeah, they're kind of what? setting that up here, aren't they? Because he's he's close to the end of his supposed sentence, and perhaps like that's why we're seeing him so hyper motivated, and he wants he wants everybody to perform well and stay in line because he's so close to what he sees as the finish line. Uh, but as we come to learn, that that might not be the case. Yeah, and and then like previously, we talked about the amazing that the the reasons for these actors perhaps these big actors perhaps choosing this kind of show, like getting to do a two-hander with Fiona in the middle of a Fiona Sans and, um, you know, getting to do a two-hander with Stellan Skarsgård. And then we've got an amazing, an amazing two-hander with Stellan Skarsgård and Forrest Whitaker. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? Oh man. Yeah. You, you could almost feel the earth shake when when those two were in a room together. Yeah, just just absolutely brilliant. I do want to give a shout out again just to uh, set design, costume design in the prison. Uh, it's kind of this orange and white vibe, which is very very Star Wars, right? And just man, the whole thing is so it's so like clinical and white, but like terrifying at the same time in a way that. <laughs> Only like really good sci-fi can can do, and they also have um, these sort of tubes, these great big like tube walkways that connect the different floors and sections. And at the end of the day, or the beginning of the day, you see 
just hundreds of men. So they really get this sense of like how many people are locked up in these things. Like it's, it's thousands of people uh, and you just see them kind of be marched along in, in these tubes. Uh, and there's one guy that kind of signs to the other guy, like who's in a tube across the way and is trying to sort of get information of what's happening on other floors. So uh, like some real neat, like interesting sort of um, prison little bits and pieces, but some amazing set and costume design here too. It's just occurred to me as well that it's kind of a bit of a callback to George Lucas's student film THX 1138, which was like a precursor to his Star Wars stuff. Um, he became a bit disillusioned, I think, after that because it was quite a, a, a politically motivated dystopian fil- sci-fi film um, with... Uh, so Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. Yeah, it's got Robert Duvall in it. Um, so it's 1971. A lot of that kind of... A lot of the visuals and, and that kind of stuff really hark back to that. Episode 9. <laughs> Let me give you the rundown. I mean, yeah. they torture Bix, and the torturing yeah. of Bix is horrendous. I know. Uh, like, that is ingenious. Let's, let's just set up what how this is described. It is that they these Empire guys basically... This is how I understood it anyway. They were busy um, enslaving and killing uh, the the members of some alien race on their planet and they found some of the children of this alien race cowering in a corner and crying and they recorded that and then they kind of messed with the levels to make it sound even worse and more horrifying and that's what they put on your head on your earphones and play to you to torture you is that do i have that right yeah yes i mean that is even to think that up and we have pretty dark writer type minds, Pete. But even to think that up, it's great. Is, is, it's a great idea. It is a great idea. I like the way the way they set it up as well. You know, they discovered that um, it did stuff to the to the Imperials that were there. Um, did they top themselves? I'm not. I'm not sure. But um, the way they set it up is brilliant, and and it's. It's just brilliant. You don't need to show. It, it's that classic, the the, what you create, what you conjure in your mind is is far worse than, than anything they could possibly show, and and they they make you, it, it it's all suggestion, right? Like there's no, there's no visuals to go with it. They yeah. put a pair of headphones on her, and she's cracked. They they. They yeah. destroy her, basically. And the only exception to that, I would say, is when they put um, Daniel Craig on that bottomless seat <laughs> and uh, <laughs> swung the, well, yeah. the bag at his balls. I mean, that's, that's I mean, like, I'm not. I'm not saying that there aren't scenes where you know you could, you could be visually repulsed or or, or um, horrified. I mean, even Rogue One has like a scene with. Um, Oh, what's the name of the alien that that um, Saw Gerrera has that Forrest Whitaker has? Uh, uh, Bo- Borgullet, Borgullet is that what he calls it? Borgullet, and and there's this kind of creature that can 
do stuff to you, which is pretty horrible in Rogue One. But but it's really it's it's really well set up. Like I I really like that. That's so do creative. Stuff to you. Yes, <laughs> I do stuff to you. Like does it make you tell the truth? I can't remember. Does it go inside you? I I really can't remember. I'd have to watch Rogue One again. It makes me want to watch Rogue One again, which is testament to the show. Let's summarize the rest of this episode. So basically, yeah, Bix is having this awful torture. Deidre gets to do a Smith Morpheus on Bix. It, it really reminded me of the, the scene from The Matrix where Agent Smith has Morpheus uh, tied up and is sweating and kind of grabs the face. Very heavily inspired, I think. It's the smell. Um, they're also spying on Marva. Uh, we have uh, Mon get a visit from her cousin. Uh, we hear, oh, your cousin's here to visit, and ba-ba, it's revealed that that's Fel. Um, we're fighting against the dark, she says uh, to her cousin. So they're both in on the rebellion, clearly. Also in this episode, Mon needs a loan to cover up her rebellious activities. And in the prison, this is the, this is the episode, Pete, where the old-timer that's on their crew uh, passes away. And that's that. That's where the reveal comes. That the medic who comes to, well, treat him, but eventually has to just administer an injection and euthanize him because he's had a massive stroke. It's the medic who passes along to the prisoners that guess what? Ain't no one getting out. Uh, it's a fallacy if you think that anybody's sentence is going to end. You, you're all here for the long term, uh, which which becomes. The, the sort of um, catalyst for them uh, all, all deciding that they need to bust out, they need to plan an escape. But yeah, great classic kind of prison movie trope of the old timer that can't keep up and is determined to help, but he can't. He, I, he's played by uh, an actor who was in Alfie the Same Pet, and I remember him like, you know, I'm a big Batman fan. I remember him as the the criminal at the beginning of batman 1989 batman that you know johnny gobbs got ripped and walked off a roof took a walk off a roof american oh, express yeah, don't show. leave home without it and and, and all of that and then he gets <laughs> yeah. obviously you know i'm michael keaton descends on him um it's a great great another great british character actor um yeah so they're starting to formulate a plan so you see that turn they're starting to starting to rebel if you like, which I guess is the point of the series. Yeah. So that brings us into episode 10, which is called, <clears throat> which is an odd name for a <laughs> That's really weird episode. That's a really weird name. I, I mean, how do you even spell time. it? I don't. <laughs> Many apologies. <Yeah>. Trying <laughs> to get through this episode with, uh, with my COVID dregs. Episode 10 is called One Way Out. Um, Cass wants to escape the next day because his plan depends on a new guy coming in. There'll be a new guy coming in to replace the old-timer. Christopher Fairbanks. We've got to give him a credit. It's Christopher Fairbanks, the old-timer. Keep calling the old-timer. Christopher Fairbanks. Yeah, yeah. it's probably very dis- disrespectful on our part. Also in this ep, Mon gets her loan from Skulden. Uh, the payment that he wants... He wants his son to marry Mon's daughter. We get the big escape in this one. We'll we'll talk through that a little bit um, in a moment. I also noted, <laughs> and it's understandable, I guess, but I put down, my God, Andor is angry a lot. He just seems to get really angry with, with people. But 
when you look at his situation and uh, everything he's been through, I'll give it to him. I, you, you see him take over from Christopher Fairbank. I'm just going to drop that actor's name quite a lot now because I feel really bad that I that I didn't know it. Um, you show enough now because you he, do. He, he takes over from Christopher Fairbank. You know when they're trying to fix the parts together, um, and, and like you know, you know, you know that Andor is a good person. You know that he's kind and that he's trying to do that. But I'd like to see a bit more. I, maybe we're just used to wisecracking and you know that droll Han Solo kind of stuff. And maybe it's refreshing that it's not. I don't know. I'm just dreaming. No, there, there is. I did kind of feel that too. Like there was a little something lacking. Like I think the reason I wrote that down at this point was that it's like, yeah, okay, we get it. Like he's angry, he's disgruntled. Like he's a bit emo though at this point. Like he, like I just it started to wear on me a little bit. I think which is which is probably why I wrote God. Uh, my God, Andor is is angry a lot in my notes. In fairness, he has been locked up with nothing but flavor in his tube for reward for quite a long time. So, yeah, maybe I'll I'll give it to him. Yeah, the escape plan is ingenious. That they, they basically flood the floor, uh, so that it basically shorts out when the guards try to electrocute them, uh, and then the lift. They have this kind of platform elevator thing that they bring the new guy down on. So. The plan is when it's halfway down, they'll kind of jam it up and they'll try to climb up. Uh, they do manage to pull this off. It's, it's again, just a beautifully choreographed uh, action scene, Pete. Uh, just this idea, and, and very kind of like symbolic too, right? The way that they're trying to climb up, they're trying to get up from below. And um, it's not and it's not easy, man. Like a lot of them die. No. They get shot. And, and, very and, high and body you're, count. You're really egging them on as it's happening yeah really well done yeah he really got got into it didn't you and they do manage eventually to to get up there with with considerable losses it turns out there's not a lot of guards and i think that's that's a key thing because the way these prisons are designed there are way more prisoners than there are guards um and the the system with you know obviously the all the floors bit like the push of a button they can just basically take down swathes of of prisoners I guess that makes sense, right? It all, it all, it all tallies up. They wouldn't need a lot of people to man that. It's it's largely an automated thing, and the guards. Have, once you overcome that that uh, that technology and that system, the guards actually and, prove pretty easy to overpower. And and the fear. Are we thinking metaphor for the empire as a whole? Now they're controlling everything through fear, and that once you once you actually make that awful first step once you make that take that risk then anything's possible yeah and also that the machine the machine is what what keeps you down but at the end of the day in pure numbers there's a lot more of us than there are of you i think is is possibly another another theme i think another like the kino lawyer's turn as well that like he kind of sacrifices himself in the end when the when they all go over the edge and he, he, he does it, even though he knows Dude. He, he won't be able to escape that, that kind that. of theme of sacrifice, sacrificing part of yourself or sacrificing yourself for the, for the greater good. Kino. Yeah. That scene to me was absolutely heartbreaking. So as we said, these installations are out in the middle of the ocean. So when, when they do manage to fight their way out, 
they basically just get to a, a drop and and their choices are you know stay on the stay on the platform stay in the prison or jump into the ocean and swim in the hope that you can find land so they're all they're all jumping off and this is where uh Kino reveals that he can't swim and and we just see this horrified look on Andor's face uh and essentially the the crowd kind of takes him doesn't it and and he kind of falls off the platform and Kino's left behind he never he never gets to escape it's just He's already yeah. accepted it at that point. I mean, that's why he's t- he's taken them there. He's realized that that's what's going to happen. I think that's what's so um, effect- affecting about it's it. Really he did powerful, all that. Yeah. He did all that, and he was he knew he was never going to get off. Oof, lump yeah. in the throat, man. I thought it was yeah. brilliant. So clever, cleverly written, for sure. So we do get next the scene with Luthen and his snitch, uh, Lani. I think was the name of this guy. Essentially, this guy comes to him he's he's uh, an empire snitch for luthan uh it comes up this big elevator and lets him know that deidre miro is onto them so uh the whole the whole premise of this is that lanny the snitch is is a new dad and he wants out now he you know he's been doing he's been living this double life um and now now he's a new dad he wants out but luthan you know it's very much like the mob it's it's Sorry, man. Once you're in, you're in. Uh, so Luthan says, "No go." Um, and really, really big speech from Luthan here, isn't there? Uh, what do I sacrifice? Everything. Yeah, yeah, which is great. I mean, like, what what does he say? Like, he asks him what he sacrificed, and he says, "What did I sacrifice?" Like, I, I can't remember what the quote is exactly, but you know, calm, calm, peace. All the all the stuff. It's really emotive, really emotive <laughs> summary, speech. Yeah, the summary is everything. <laughs> so yes, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Axis is Luthen, isn't it? Axis Luthen. I think Axis is Luthen. That's their code name for him because they know oh, okay. that somebody organizing the somebody organizing the rebels. Um, uh, okay. So so Axis is is Luthen. It's interesting that the 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 names that they use for these kind of rebel cells in in Star Wars seem to be linked in some way because I I seem to recall that in the in the Clone Wars stuff there's or uh, rebels maybe it's rebels there's a character called Fulcrum who is like kind of another kind of rebel orchestrating agent I think it might turn out to be Ahsoka Tano I'm not sure um but uh they seem, you know, Axis, Fulcrum. I guess they are things in physics that help the machine move. You've got um, parts of a machine that help help. You know, it's essentially this is what's facilitating the rebellion. Connect, right? connects everything, or, or yeah. a center point. Yeah. So, so I think that's their referral to Luthen. I thought that was a great scene for Stellan Skarsgård. I, I think we really see there that he's he's lost he's lost something that it's come at a cost this rebellion because up until now he's been this kind of jaunty uh central figure with a finger in all the pies and enjoying dressing up and being a lovejoy type character in his Coruscant antiques dealership and then jetting off and meeting Diego Luna and saying hey kid we want you in the picture and and all of that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then here we really feel it. We really feel that it comes at a cost. Uh, Kino Loy rescues them at his own sacrifices himself. Here we get a sense that Luthen has, has actually made some sort of sacrifice for the rebellion. Um, episode 11 is Daughter of Ferrix. <laughs> Pete, Marva, she's gone, my friend. The Fionnissance is over. Marva's passed away. B emo is so sad. It was well done, like the way the way that they did it. I mean, it was all off screen, and I couldn't really understand it at first. I couldn't understand why they would make that choice, but it, I thought that seeing it through through the droid's eyes was really well done. Yeah, no, I don't know what it is about emo, but he really he really gets me every time. And I, I was very yeah. worried for him uh, from this point on. Um, what hell, what else do we have? Cass and, and his, and his prisoner friend have made it to dry land and are doing a spot of rock climbing. And this is what you were referring to earlier, uh, Pete, they, they, they're on this, they, they, in the middle of nowhere, essentially, and, uh, try to steal a ship. But there's, uh, these two awesome, big, flumpy Star Wars characters roaming around and Cass and his friend try to steal their ship. Uh, and there's a booby trap and they get caught in this, these sticky nets and you, you think they might be done for. But it turns out these characters aren't lovers of the Empire either. They have this great little language um, as well as being just awesomely designed characters. Uh, but it turns out they're not no fans of the Empire either. They, they talk about how the Empire's kind of poisoned the water and they're not very pleased about it. Um, and his friend is Melshi, who is in Rogue One. He actually makes an appearance in Rogue One. I, like, I really want to go back and watch Rogue One now because I want to see whether it's weird that Andor doesn't acknowledge him that much in in rogue one but that oh, right. they spent a bit of time together on this prison planet right so yeah i don't know or maybe he's just kind of he, he crops up like he's on yavin five yavin four yavin five uh when one of the subpar yavins one of one of the yavins <laughs> when when they're when they when they team up with the when they eventually get their act together and go to Scarif to get the plans for the Death Star and there's that kind of awesome ground assault in, in Rogue One. Um so he he crops up again. Um but yeah, I like that bit. As it was nostalgic in a couple of, in, in in a way because it was filmed in a quarry. <laughs> which, <laughs> which a large portion of the sci fi of my youth was filmed in quarries. Quarries. So, Something um, so sci fi about a quarry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they were great. Great characters. Yeah, so they give uh the boys a ride to to Neomos. Meanwhile, uh we find out that they're going to turn Marva into a brick as as is as is the way on on Ferrix uh, with their dead. Really sad scene with B Emo where he doesn't want to leave uh the apartment and he convinces uh Cass's big friend who I still don't have a name for uh Brasso. to stay Brasso. the night. Brasso. Brasso. Yeah, I just Oh man, that just really got my heartstrings. The little the little robot didn't want to leave. He's so sad. He says, "I just want Marva." Oh, poor guy. Um, Bix is all messed up from listening to the screams of alien children, uh, and they ask her, uh, "Did I get this right?" They ask her if Saw is the man that she introduced to Cass. They think that it's Saw. I, I think uh, not Luthen. Maybe. So they're actually barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, maybe. I, the thing I like about the Luthen and Saw scene is that it 
it, it's not all straightforward rebels. There's there's different factions, and Saw was really belligerent about that in the confrontation with Luthen that there's um separate there's you know the separatists and there's these guys and there's those guys and they don't want to be lumped together and I, it, it again it's those shades of grey which is good um but yeah they they're barking up the wrong tree but somehow getting yeah. the right getting the, getting in the right direction as well at the at the same time you know yeah de- definitely the 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 noose is tightening uh, and did I get this right too? Um, there's an exchange between Vel and Mon, uh, and it seems to me that because of the heist that they did on that Vel helped with on Aldani, that's the reason that Mon's accounts were frozen. So in a, in a weird way, she's caused issues for her cousin. So I think that the scrutiny that she's likely to come under there's there's word that she's likely to come under scrutiny and it's all as a res- direct result of this kind of emergencies act which is a which is a knee-jerk reaction to the aldani heist which is quite clever like in you know yeah it's kind of like you move it's like a chessboard like you move one piece that might sort out this problem but it might make you susceptible in another way and i think that's 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 really interesting yeah it's um, interesting for me how Mon Mothma is going to get from this kind of behind the scenes, largely behind the scenes benefactor to the leader of the rebellion in the original trilogy. Um, I, that There is quite a lot to mine there, I, I would imagine. And certainly we talked about the sacrifice of Kino Loy and we talked about we've seen Luthans made a sacrifice and this stuff with the criminal... Uh, underworld leader that she's sort of been forced into a relationship with uh, you, you see that she's like she's lost her daughter to the empire already essentially like she's kind of been brainwashed with the the chanting the fascism there's real like nazi undertones or overtones or just tones going on some with kind her of daughter. tones some kind of tones yes the boss tones um <laughs> the- Yes. <laughs> wow, that was from deep deep in there somewhere. So um, we 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 get a little. Uh, I was delighted by this little cameo from Musk. Uh, <laughs> remember Musk? He calls up Cyril. Um, he's and he's calling him from Milana the Greatest. He's calling from Milana One, and he tells him <laughs> that. Uh, but Cass might show up for Marva's funeral. Is essentially what he's trying to relay to to Cyril, but. It's just such a funny scene. Like he's, he's, I don't know what's going on. He's like, there's these sparks flying in the background, and but he's like, he, they've got a really bad connection, and he's like, he well, keeps misunderstanding he's what he's saying. There, he's on the phone box. He's in a Star Wars phone box, clearly. And uh, yeah, the payphone. Yeah, yeah. The the connection is is not great. <laughs> to, it's just hilarious. hilarious it, it keeps going like <laughs> longer than it really ought to, but it's just so funny <laughs> that you don't mind. Um, but it's, it's that was quite a, an interesting oh. revelation because when Mosk first cut, when Mosk first turns up, you think that perhaps he's a little bit um, uh, look at looking down his nose a little bit at Cyril, but actually this shows that he's kind of he's seen a, a kindred spirit in him. I I think he's actually in awe of him now. I, I think mm. he looks up to Cyril now, which, as you say, is quite, quite, quite the. I think when he first came, yeah, he, he saw a kindred spirit, but I think now 
he's really looking up to him actually so very excited to give him this news and sort of think that he might be he's almost like doesn't care about whatever his terrible situation is where he is on Malana because he's so excited to give him this news and like be playing a part in 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 this uh, nefarious activity so that that was really neat um super cool scene towards the end of this episode Pete uh Luthen gets pulled over by the cops uh so the empire guy is like in a in a big ship catch up to him and he James bonds the fuck out of him <laughs> they they get him in a tractor beam and he like has all these gadgets on his ship so he like fires these like metal arrows or something that shoot out the back of his ship and they shred the satellite dish uh, that that's like pulling pulling him in on this ship um and he just basically fucks up a couple of tie fighters and hyperdrives it out of dodge it's absolutely brilliant yeah so cool so cool and like another total a bit, a bit out of left field i think maybe for the show but like just like is there anything it can't do it does yeah it, it does the it's done a heist it's done a prison movie and then suddenly it does like star wars dogfight best star wars dogfight you, you can ever see and it's almost know, like a, 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 but it is a like a cunning trick with the tractor beam does it it's, it's like a really cunning trick that he does with the tractor beam right like he makes them think that he's trying to pull away and that they're going to pull him in and then he uses that and yeah really yeah. clever oh yeah there's a whole there's a whole uh methodology to what he's doing but it's it's actually again they spend more time on it than you probably would say is reasonable but it's just very cool the way that he kind of lures them into thinking that they've got him and then just messes them up and disappears and they just kind of left cock in hand he, he, at the end of it. <laughs> he doesn't just have nice wigs, Luthen, and a shop full of interesting stuff. He's he's the full deal. Yeah. He's got a James Bond he's, ship. He's Stellan fucking Skarsgård is who he is. <laughs> Motherfuckers. Exactly. Um, Cass phones home at the end of the episode, Pete, uh, from from a payphone on Naomas with his mate. And this is where he finds out his mom's dead. Really sad. Yeah. And, and everything inside you is saying, don't go back. Um, so that, you know, that's testament to the writing, isn't it? But, uh, y- you know, the trap has been set for him. You know, it's not good news. Again, at, at this point, do we know that Luthan... And his crew are going to close in on um, Andor as well. I, I didn't entirely understand their reasoning behind trying to get him out of the picture. They think he's a liability, but he's been off radar for God knows how long in the prison. But even that said, you're still sort of willing him not to go. But and, but but you know he will. And how could he not? He, he has to because, you know, it's everybody, everybody going, man. Marva's funeral is is the big event of the century and literally every character in the show is going to get their ass to Ferrix. Get your ass to Moss. For, for the final episode, Pete, we made it. Uh, it's called Rick's Road. There's some interesting stuff with Mon and, and Reginald Perrin, her husband. She totally throws him under the bus. We know that uh, Lee Ross, the uh, the character that Lee Ross plays, sorry, that's the, the name of the actor. We know that he's a spy. We know that he's spying for the Empire. He's keeping an ear out. And she knows that there's irregularities. Has she resigned herself to the fact that she's she's got to lose her daughter to this 
skeezy guy. I I guess so. Um, but she needs to. She needs some way out. Her, her finances are going to be scrutinized, and so she lays it on thick about um, Reggie Perrin's gambling. <laughs> and maybe there is a history there because he's adamant that he hasn't. But it, there's certainly the feeling that maybe he has in the past, and she's really thrown him under the bus. But I don't really have a problem with that because he was a bit of a dick anyway. Yeah, he's not a super likable guy, is he? So everyone's converging back back on Ferrix and and uh, Cass finds his old mate at the junkyard, almost gets attacked by one of the uh, the mutant dogs, or two of them actually. Um, and he finds out this is the point that he finds out that Bix has been captured, and she's in the clutches of the Empire. Um, and we've got Ferrix essentially preparing for for Marva's funeral here, uh, while. Uh, Deidre and the Empire goons are basically getting ready to to try to snatch Cass because they figure, of course, he's going to show up for Mom's funeral. Uh, we also find out in the background here that Krieger and his crew are dead. Uh, the, this was a retaliatory strike for Aldani, Pete. Uh, much to Saw's dismay. Um, but what can you do? The, the, the inside guy is more valuable. Um so yeah, perhaps that perhaps that will have repercussions in season two. I'm not sure because season two, I've, I've heard, is going to have some quite significant time jumps, and they're they're gradually trying to get closer and closer to Rogue One. So I'm I'm not sure how in depth they're going to be able to get with some of these sort of breadcrumbs that they're leaving. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to find out. Maybe giving themselves some options too. Um, so uh, Luthen's on Ferris too. I, I found it amusing pete that this time he didn't have to take the the shuttle bus uh he he had the foresight to bring his bike with him so he gets off the ship and uh, takes his bike in this time but then what was so funny i was just like ah that's smart i'm so glad he did that and i'm so glad that they kind of they did that you know because it was kind of funny but it was made super funny when the next scene is cyril and musk are on the shuttle bus, so they did have to get the bus in. I thought that was so funny. There's this scene where they like switch hats because they're they're supposed to be, I suppose, in in um, civilian dress, and they have the wrong hat, and they it's just so good, so funny. The time hammerer makes an appearance again, uh, and is quite central to this one. He's banging on his bell. Uh, the band is is tuning its instruments. So we're, we're going to get sort of a New Orleans-style funeral march past the wall of gloves, Pete. The symbolic wall of gloves, I guess. The workers uniting, finally. Yeah, it was good. A lot of vibes going on here, like, like Belfast vibes, feeling like, um, you know, the kind of confrontation before between the, the you know, with the, those kind of... the marches in belfast um also like i got a kind of like miners strike kind of colliery band feel to it as well um some kind of nice star wars weird instruments you know weird twists on on familiar instruments not quite cantina band style um more like kind of upturned gramophone gramophones and and things quite interesting yeah, I loved it. I loved the the kind of world building and all the stuff about the brick, putting you in a brick and you're part of it when you die. I would have liked to have yeah. seen Marva's kind of. She seems to have been quite a central figure to the 
the Daughters of Ferex. Um, I would have liked to have seen that perhaps played up a little bit earlier on to feel it a little bit stronger at the end. But um, that that sort of I went, oh, she was she was quite a big deal for the Daughters of Ferex when this happened, rather than, of course, she was a big deal for the Daughters of Ferex. Um, it did seem a bit tacked on, that didn't it? Like uh, maybe they had the idea a bit later, a bit in, later in on. the game. Yeah, yeah. We've all been there, as right. Yeah, certainly have. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes um, don't have the idea at all. Uh, mainly that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's lots of ideas <laughs> I don't have. <laughs> so many, so many that I don't have. Um, yeah. So the Rick's Road of 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 the the titular Rick's Road. Uh, is full of Phyrexians. <laughs> Phyrexians, I'm going to call pe- the people of Phyrex. Um, as Marva's brick is brought forth, followed by a very, very sad uh, bee emo. Um, Bix appears to hear the music, so this was the only time that it clicked in my dull head that she's actually still on Phyrex. I thought she was had been taken to like a spaceship or something, but she's actually captive on Ferrix. So you can kind of see that she hears the music and that's how we kind of get that, that proximity, but she's not in a very good state. She's almost zombified at this point. She's very pale with, with the black eyes and we're not quite sure what, what level the, the, the screaming alien children, what level of brain damage they've done to her at this point. Um, I think that's one of the horrific things, isn't it? That it kind of stays with you. That it's the kind of torture that you can't. It's it's they've broken it. They've permanently broken it. It's, it's horrid. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, um, doesn't it? What what the future holds for for Bix? So B leads the charge towards the the Empire. So we do have this sort of cut two sides coming together now, like it literally, right? Like it, the big crowd of of the the Phyrexians, the rebels, and the big crowd of the the Empire people on the other side. And you just know shit's going to go down. Some chanting starts among the Phyrexians. And then we get, Pete, the giant Marva hologram. So a hologram pops up from from Emo, from B. Um, and she does her, uh, her her posthumous speech. But I, I'm assuming she I'm assuming she prepared this before she died, obviously. Um, she talks about the Empire survives in darkness and it thrives when we sleep. So the whole gist of what she's saying is wait the fuck up, fight the empire. Uh, and it ends really being a, a rallying call to, to fully rebel. B gets flipped. Pete, it absolutely devastated me. Somebody comes, one of the empire guys comes and fully flips uh, poor old little B on his side. And I was very worried for his safety from that point on. Uh, he was okay. Uh, but uh, big fight. We've got the the the, the bell tolling, the uh, the bell ma- the time master uh, going crazy in the background. And uh, in the meantime, as as it's all kicking off down on the Rick's Road, Cass finds what's left of Biggs. And then we see uh, somebody lob a grenade. Uh, a bunch of bombs going off. We got stormtroopers getting involved. Um. The uh, I didn't I never got her name, but Vel's lover, Pete, she she shivs <laughs> the main Empire douche. I was very relieved, Pete, when I saw that the junkyard man uh, was towing B 
away from the scene on a rope. So B B was okay. Um, Bellman, <laughs> there was a this was a really fun fun scene. Uh, one of the stormtroopers manages to climb the bell tower, and the uh, the bellman boots him off the side of the tower. I thought that was particularly <laughs> enjoyable. Yeah, that was good. Uh, it was nice to see him get a little bit. Uh, another really, really key scene here too was Cyril uh, rescues Deidre. So Deidre and Miro kind of starts getting trampled by the crowd and Cyril kind of comes to her rescue and there's almost a, there's a moment between them, right? Like he pulls her aside and just for a moment, I, I actually thought they were going to kiss for a moment. Uh, they didn't, but uh, maybe that's the spark of something a bit deeper now between Miro and Cyril. Did you uh, read that that way? Yeah, I, yeah, I found that quite weird. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what direction that's going in. Me either. Um, no, I mean he's super creepy, isn't he? And and clearly obsessed, like stalkerish. But she's kind of coming around she's a bit, she coming she's a bit weird right? herself though mate isn't she she's she's yeah. a she's a strange one yeah there might be a match made in hell so essentially uh by the end of it all the good guys uh get get to to the old clunker ship that uh we kind of come full circle it's the one that Cass used in in episode one to get to Molana and kill those empire guys so we end up with brasso uh, another daughter of ferrix B, uh, in the old uh, in the old clanker ship, and then Cass and, and Bix join them. But we find out Pete that Cass isn't going to be going. He tells B to look after Bix and has this nice moment. He says, "I'm counting on you," and B says, "You always say that," and he says, "And you always come through," and that <laughs> made me tear up. <laughs> Some signs that Bix might have a little bit of brain power left because she says Cass will find us at the end so she's obviously kind of taken in what's going on or is she or is, or is she, does she not even realize that Cass came back in the first place I, I guess that's sort of maybe what that's setting up like do do we know do, does she know what's going on or is she still totally confused about what's going on but she says Cass will find us and he, he says I will I guess we've got hope her absence from Rogue One is a bit of a worry hey but her absence from Rogue One might be to do with Andor's decision he's all in he goes in all in he, he goes and meets luthan in his ship and um L- luthan's a bit stunned that he's got the these bobby big balls and he's gone in and he's decided to confront him but um yeah he's decided that's it i want to you either kill me or you you fully commit to me being a part of it all and I wonder if is is that does that mean that he's just walked away from Brasso and and Bix and the rest that he's he said that he'll go back but he's just done that to get them to safety he sacrificed them in effect now he's all in on the on the rebellion I wonder if we'll I wonder if we'll revisit Brasso and and Bix and those guys in the in the next season I'd be I'd be disappointed if they didn't but I I could also understand perhaps if they didn't as well yeah, so no, it's interesting. Um, yeah, he goes basically. He's waiting for Luthen when Luthen gets back to his ship. Cass says, "You came here to kill me, didn't you?" Luthen says, "You don't make it easy." Cass says, "I will now. Uh, no game. Kill me or take me in." And and the the ending is uh, Luthen smiling. So 
yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seems that he was more than willing to die in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, was I that, also was had... that Luton's plan all along? It's almost like he had a crisis of faith, and now with with Andor sort of committing like that, he's sort of proven his faith in him, right? So we get a Luthan smile and uh, the end of, of Andor season one. Pete, uh, I think we both really enjoyed it. Uh, there is one order of business remaining, and that's uh, a, a, a if, if you if you stayed till the end of the credits. I'm assuming you did. Mm-hmm. You're well, get I didn't yourself... actually. I didn't, but oh. I picked it up. Like I saw it on Twitter afterwards. I wasn't uh, expecting a post credit oh. scene. Always stay till the end these days. Mm. So we get a peek at the Death Star being built, don't we? And uh, those look very much like the parts they were making on the uh, the prison installations, don't they? So coming full circle now, this idea that uh, the the Empire is, you know, basically putting its production into high gear because they're building a planet-sized death ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and ultimately, Andor is involved in the manufacture of the machine of his own demise, which has got a horrible connotation to it, I think, but also yeah. a nice narrative circularity. Like tears in rain. It's time to name our Batty's Tears moment of the season, Pete. Uh, this this is a really tough one. Um, I'm going to go for something heart-wrenching for me. Uh, and it's just basically the moment when uh, B2 Emo comes forward and... He, he, he's found himself again. He's such a cool little character. I, I just really enjoyed him. Um, and he's so devastated after losing Marva. Uh, and he has feelings, this little robot, you know? Uh, and it's tough because he's he's kind of like a, a child or or a pet in some way. But he, but he has sort of more emotional capability. And so, you know, when you think about it, he's lost Clem. He's lost Marva now. He's, you know, probably lost Cass. And this little robot, you know, he had this moment where he, he came forward and he was kind of leading the charge of the, of the rebellion, of the rebels uh, on Rick's Road. Uh, and then, you know, Marva is projected from him. And I just thought that was like really sweet and cute. I know it's an odd one, but I'm going with <laughs> B2 Emo's big moment. That That's my... Uh, that's my Batistia's moment of the of the season. Did you have any particular moments that stood out for you? For, for me, it's got to be Marva's speech. I mean, the, the whole season's been leading towards it, and you know, it's brilliant. the the Fiona The Fiona sense is complete. Yeah. Well, we're still in it. We're still in it, mate. Still in it, man. We're living in the age of the Fiona sense. Pete, I know we. You have to go and sleep. I have to go and do work uh thank you so much thanks to anybody who might have been among the 37 listeners uh uh this has been a lot of fun obviously we we're learning as we go along uh it's we we've we've given you a christmas wrap on andor 
and we hope to return uh, early 2023. Well, we'll look at something that isn't probably Star Wars, but is certainly sci-fi. We haven't decided what yet, uh, but keep tuned and uh, we'll look forward to bringing you a little bit more Origami Unicorn. Bye, Pete. See you, mate. Let's see.